And as we approach that text, one of the more familiar passages in all the Bible, one of the most familiar books in all of Scripture, I want to ask you, as you approach this, and you'll soon think about your own life, do you love, just in general, do you love like God loves? Is your life distinct in loving like God loves? The book of Jonah shows a man running away from God's law, running away from God's love, participating in the works of God, yes, but, but not loving like God loved, not having a life that was distinct by a life of love like God loves. So my sermon this morning is from the book of Jonah in its entirety. Jonah is probably the most famous, we all know this, because of a big old fish in the middle of it. It's four short chapters, each with a different setting. You have the first setting of a sea, you have a setting of a belly inside the fish, Uh, the setting inside the city of Nineveh, and then the setting of of Jonah looking out from the outside of the city into the city of Nineveh. Now, some people think that that Jonah, the book, is a fable or a myth, or at best, it's a parable. Mostly, they they say that because of all the miracles in the book. It, It seems to be completely unbelievable to them because of so many miraculous things that happen inside of it. Think of it. There's a miraculous storm that was intentionally going towards one person. You have a man, think of it, you have a man living in a belly of a fish for three days. You have the size of Nineveh, just seems huge for ancient cities in that day. Or even the swiftness of people turning from their sins to God in repentance. And then you have, at the very end, this fast-growing vine that seems to go out of nowhere, and then a worm eats it overnight. There's a lot there that, that just seems somewhat unbelievable to a regular reader of the Bible. And, and so they think it's a parable. It's not a parable. It's too long to be a parable linguistically. They think it's not historical, but it, you know, this is just kind of a legend that everyone knows, like, a, like an old Western movie that everyone kind of feels like they have an understanding about. But it can't be ahistorical because it's using real cities, real people, real examples that people would have heard about, known about, seen about, known people with them. And so I just want to encourage you, you're going to be tempted to think of this book by other people as something that is completely not real, but it is very real. Uh, More than anything, what what kind of book it is, is that Jesus refers to this book as something that points all the way to him in the New Testament. It was Jesus who actually saw this book as historical, seeing this book as true, seeing the unbelievable events that happened in this book as absolutely, you and I can have absolute confidence and certainty in it, because If you don't believe the stuff in the book of Jonah, there is no way that you will believe the stuff about Jesus in its entirety. It's even more unbelievable than a fish or a storm or a vine because it it just seems to us completely impossible. Now today I want to preach to you about Jonah, his story, and the book's basic arguments. In Hosea, if you think back to the first of the 12, God is shown to love his people. In Joel, God promised thunderous wrath without repentance. In Amos, God promised judgment on his own people, but also giving them a glimmer of hope at the end. And then in Obadiah, God promised to judge the Edomites, the nations, the enemies of God. And so you come to Jonah and you go, who's next? It seems like God treats his people with blessing, but then all of these other people in the world with a distinct uh, reception of his wrath. And so you might be coming to the book of Jonah and go, okay, this is going to be the same story again. God's going to treat his enemies different than us. And that's really what the whole story of Jonah 
is about who's next. God is concerned about other people than just his own people in Israel. You can imagine God looking out on the earth and saying, there are people there who are considered my enemies by me, and I will make myself known to them. So the story of Jonah answers this question, does God love everyone or just his own people by showing you his power? So if you've got a a bulletin, I gave an outline on the back of that where this story is, I think, in two parts, where you see God's desire and then you see God's love. The the first couple of chapters talk about God's desire unfolding even in in unpredictable ways. And then the second part is is God's love showing itself in seemingly impossible um, propositions or circumstances. In the first two chapters, you see what God desires to do. Firstly, and most notably, God desires or calls Jonah, the man, to preach. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now Nineveh, as a place, is in ruins on the edge of uh, Mosul, Iraq. In Jonah's day, it was a huge, beautiful progressive, successful city. It was a city of great size, influence, splendor, innovation. You can imagine it being as big as Los Angeles and as dense in its power as New York City. But the Lord called it wicked. God, though, is merciful in seeing this wicked city by sending a warning that he won't immediately judge them. And so he aims to send, he desires to send a prophet who's going to speak to them and tell them that 40 days from now, if you don't repent, God's going to crush you. God was revolted by the sins of the people that he saw in the city. His his anger has been incited, and the time for judgment is on Nineveh's doorstep. And so Jonah tells us that God's desire for a righteous life wasn't just limited to Israel. He wanted all of, you could say, those people out there to turn from themselves and to be righteous in him. God shows that he has concern for all of his creation, all of his image bearers. And so he decides to send a prophet. And I think it's an easy thing here to be reminded uh, is that your and my life, so if you're a Christian here today, your and my life, our salvation didn't begin with us. But just seeing that the grace and mercy of God as initiating an announcement to these people who he called wicked, who he called evil, yet in his love, he sought them. And he sought to preach to them through this preacher. Just as God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God sent someone to your life to tell you about his holiness, your sin, the remedy offered to you only in Christ. So we just see at the very beginning another story of God seeing someone who is so far away from him that he seeks them out in order to wake them up. Maybe it was used, maybe God used your Sunday school teacher. Maybe he used your parents. Maybe he used your friend. I've got a friend who was evangelized by his girlfriend at 14 years old over AOL Instant Messenger, shared the gospel with her boyfriend, and he repented and believed just like that. Whoever it was that was sharing for you, it it seems that we, well, it doesn't seem, it is providential that God was behind this sense of grace and mercy. So God's desire here is to save Nineveh by sending a prophet to speak God's word. I hope you see the immediate implication of this for our own church. That, that our preaching, our teaching, in various capacities, whether it's from this pulpit or in a Sunday school class or even you over coffee with a friend, your teaching about God matters. That is exactly how God makes himself known to people. It's, it's not some kind of mystical feeling about anything else. It's, this is the word of the Lord. You are you, and God is calling you to himself. 
It's not just something that we do in passing, but something that we take serious. This is why I think on just a regular basis, it ought to be our responsibility and opportunity to pray for the regular preaching of God's word in people's lives, in our lives, to pray for the regular intake and reception and teaching of God's Bible to where it's normal for us, maybe to even ask, what are you reading in the scriptures? Or, or what's, that, what's that podcast you're listening to? How did that speak to you? Oh, you just sent me a clip on Instant Messenger. Oh, wasn't that good? Like, what'd you learn from that guy's message? It's so important here. And in fact, heaven and hell hangs in the balance of Nineveh receiving the preaching of God's word. So I hope you see that even in this part, we see the importance of what God desires to do. He desires people to hear him. And for Nineveh, it would be Jonah's, Noah's, Jonah's. <laughs> it would be Jonah's job to do so. But what does Jonah do? Next verse, Jonah ran away from the Lord. How many of us would love to have a direct revelation from the Lord saying, do this, paint your house this color, choose this job, marry that person. And what does he do? Nope runs away. Jonah says, no way, and goes the other way. Instead of going east over the land to Nineveh, he goes south and west over water. He hails a boat and sails away, which would have been hard to do to hail a boat. He disobeys the Lord. Now, to be fair to Jonah, he's not the first prophet to reject God's call on his life. Moses made excuses when God told him to do something, listing all the reasons that he was inadequate for the job. Jeremiah claimed that he didn't know how to speak as if God had made some kind of mistake. Oh, okay, I I didn't know that. Elijah, a bit later in his ministry, actually became afraid and ran for his life. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me just point out that Jonah's disobedience is only one of the many accounts in the Bible that describes the reality that that you and I, all of us, non-believers and believers face. We all sin. And what this will expose is that we all stand in judgment from God and of his wrath because of our sin. And if you're here today and you don't know what sin is, sin is disobeying God. God has given a clear demand and so many clear uh, ways that we can serve and honor him. It's given something clear to us. And when we don't obey that, that's called sin. Sin is not doing what God calls us to do. Sin is fleeing from God and his rule, just like Jonah. The Bible teaches that everyone, from the wicked Ninevites to Jonah, the running prophet, and to me, everyone sins. And God's clear that sin deserves judgment. Now, I heard one guy on this text say, what Jonah did was legal. He he didn't break the law, at least the rules of the land, when he ran away. He didn't break any laws. And oftentimes, Christians can excuse ourselves from not following God's desire by the way we justify it with, but I'm a good guy. I didn't steal. I didn't cheat on my wife. I've always been aiming to live according to the, to the way of the world today. Here you've got this man who got an announcement from the Lord and runs away. But what he did was still sin. He ran away from God's desire. And friend, you and I, it should be clear, even from this text, at this point, you and I should obey God. If you're a Christian and you're trying to run away from God in some area of your life, you know, hiding pornography, hiding excuses, not showing up when you should show up, stealing from your uh, business or whatever, you need to realize that you will never succeed in that pursuit. You can never avoid or hide from God. Do not try it. It is a waste of time. You will look like a fool, and it will only bring you sorrow. But this is the beautiful thing about being a Christian inside a body of believers called the church. Being openly against sin and unrepentant sin 
is us encouraging one another to pursue the Lord. Uh, and there are a myriad of ways that you and I can just be involved in people's lives where we find the security of a, of a friendship, you could say, by knowing that we believe the same things about God and knowing that we aim to live a certain way around other people to where you can go to someone and you say, I, I got to tell you, I've been hiding from the Lord in this. Or someone will come to you and say, man, you need to stop running from Christ's righteousness. Let's go in this together. And that's the beautiful thing about being in a Christian fellowship, surrounding yourself with people who will point and prod you to God as a very good thing. And so we see God speaking to Jonah, Jonah running away from the Lord, but then God quickly catching up with Jonah. You've got a command, a rebellion, but in grace and mercy, God powerfully halts Jonah's rebellion. Look at verse 4. God sends a miraculous storm dead set on uprooting the runaway prophet. And when Jonah tells the Phoenician sailors that his God had made the sea, you'd think they'd kill Jonah and there, uh, then and there to appease God, but they don't. These, these Gentile sailors hear Jonah's words, fear Jonah's God, and have mercy on Jonah. They don't want to throw him overboard. The storm grows, though. It gets worse and worse, and so the sailors have no choice. They throw Jonah overboard, and immediately the sea calms. And it says the Gentiles fear God and worship him with sacrifice and obedience. In, in a sense, they, they repented and believed in, in the God that Jonah was supposed to announce to Nineveh. And God is powerful with his people, and he'll achieve everything that he desires because as the story goes on, we see Jonah not just in the sea, but then a giant fish eats him. Obviously miraculous. The entire affair was, a, was under the work of God and desire of God. This, this man-holding fish swims under the boat at just the right time. It swallows a precise large object, and it keeps Jonah inside the belly for three days. And then it spits him back up onto the shore. No matter how you attempt to naturally explain this, God was clearly, I think, sovereign over these events. He used a storm and a fish to bring Jonah back to the place where he wanted him to be. We recognize that storms can destroy the most powerful navies and wreak havoc on structures and people, and sea creatures can even kill the strongest of men. But God uses them for his purpose. And the purpose of this was that God wanted to reach his enemies through the prophet Jonah. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, as you read about this man, I want you to consider the great deliverance that God has done in your own life. We, we often think of this story as like a children's story where something bizarre happens. But perhaps God saved you in the last through few months or years and in the process, he delivered you from incredible difficulties and trials or even sinful addictions or, or possibly shameful passions. Your experience has been like walking from a stormy night to a morning's sunrise. Or maybe perhaps, God willing, you came to Christ at a young age, years ago, thought, uh, and you don't have many of the memories that those who became Christians older in their life have with great regret. You know what God has swept you out of and in many ways kept you away from. But either way, all of us as Christians share in a deliverance like this, in Christ's deliverance from God's just punishment of our sins, a punishment that is far worse than anything raging that a raging ocean can deal out. Outside of faith in Christ, you realize that you were as helpless as a man among the raging waves like Jonah. Yet in God's grace, sent something to preserve your and summon you to himself. I think one of the things that's so intense here is the picture that the fish portrays. You think all the way back to Genesis, where God provided an ark to save Noah and his family. Or you think a little bit more forward in the book of Exodus, 
where God provided a, a recession of water from a seafloor. That picture of salvation is here, where, where God gave Jonah a fish to save him from drowning. Friend, I, I wonder if you ever rehearse the providential events that God has powerfully delivered you from. One of the greatest things that our elders get to do is we get to regularly hear a salvation story from incoming members. So if you don't know this, if you want to be a member of our church, you go to a class, you meet with an elder, that elder says, how did you come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or something like that? Tell me your testimony, you might say. And it is so encouraging on a regular basis to see all the, to me, random events in your life that led you to an understanding of God. You could, we could go hundreds and hundreds of rounds of hearing things that seem so random, like a, like a particular storm, a particular fish, a particular boat, a particular circumstance, and we go, and on this perspective of providence, praise God for all those events. And friend, you do that on a regular basis in your own life. You meet another Christian. Are, are, do you go to church? Yeah. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Great. Ask him how. Oh, how it encourages us. Give praise to God for this, because there is no greater news that you can hear or speak in how he aims to reach what was once an enemy and made them a friend. So chapters 1 and 2 show God's desire, and I hope you see that there is power behind his desire. Secondly, we see in verses or chapters 3 and 4, a full picture of God's love, and it comes in surprising ways. Uh, Again, God calls Jonah to preach. Look at verse, or chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God takes this runaway, brings him back, and tells him to go again. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may be surprised to find out how much this holy God, who says he will judge every sin, is regular, regularly portrayed in the scriptures as one having compassion, mercy. Another chance, another chance, another set of compassion. In large part, Jonah, the book of Jonah, is a glimpse and a picture of Israel. So you think about Israel historically, you can have this small glimmer of what Israel was like. Blessed, they sinned, brought back and blessed. They're given instruction, they're told to go out, and they fail, and they wander, and they complain, and they sin. Yet how is God being presented to him until the ages to come as being compassionate and full of mercy? And friend, this is what the Bible says and offers you in your unrepentance, a life of forgiveness. And Jonah knew this, that God was merciful and compassionate. He, he said it later that he knew that God would be compassionate towards these people. So if you're here and you're a Christian... I wonder if you've, if you've recognized that God has given you a particular responsibility, a particular situation, or even a regular relationship or opportunity that you have taken and messed up. Your life could be characterized as just messing up. During the summer, the last couple of months, I've broken countless things at our house, dropping them, accidentally throwing them away, breaking stuff that it seems like is impossible to break. I'm, I, like, all I do is mess things up. I've said that so many times. And Brooks and I are like, no, it's not. But clearly, yes, he is. Uh, and regularly, we do this with all the things that God has given us. Re- situations, relationships, opportunities. We've taken things, and by our sin, we've messed them, them up. And what about that makes you feel terrible? Christian, remember that our God is the God who gave hope to Adam after the fall. 
the God who used the malice of Joseph's brothers to deliver his people from devastating famine, the same God who forgave King David and Mary Magdalene, this same God died for whatever responsibility, situation, or relationship that you have sinned within, where his righteousness has been implied to you, and so you will be treated as Christ deserved. So every time you and I mess things up, the call of the gospel is to come back to the one who forgave us, to place ourselves again under his care, and to pursue him in righteousness. This same God caused you to be born again through his spirit to make you a new creation. Christian, this is the God that you believe in, and in Jonah's reception of mercy, we see a picture of second chances that God gives you again and again. Chapter 2 talked about Jonah recognizing where he was in a fish and crying out to the Lord for forgiveness. And what did God do? He threw him up on the dry land, and he said, get back to work. As you and I have the opportunity all day to bring God glory, in many ways we see how much God gives us his compassion and mercy. I wonder, and I imagine that some of you Christians, let me also explain this, I imagine that some of you Christians have been hurt by other Christians. So at first you recognize that you've messed up on other people. But let's be clear, there have, I would imagine, other people who have messed up on you. They've hurt you. And not just in tripping you on the playground but they've really, really hurt you. They may have ruined your life or damaged you in a way that you don't think could ever be repaired. Friend, I wonder how long, if you could, you would keep them in the fish's belly. Oh, I forgive. Let's forget it. Let's move on. Jonah rebelled against a holy God with direct revelation. And he said, go. And he said, it would work. And he sinned. God didn't keep him in the belly forever. His forgiveness actually meant something. And I wonder how many times people have done something to us, and we say, we'll forgive and forget, but man, we really keep our foot on their neck, don't we? We might even avoid them completely, not displaying the gospel of forgiveness to others around us. I wonder if you think God was too merciful to Jonah. I wonder if you think God was too merciful to the little brother and the prodigal son. Ruined everything of the dad. And yet forgiveness and a banquet table was set. I wonder how much you think God will be merciful to you. The countless ways. The portrayal of the prodigal son where the father greets his son, brings him in, and throws a party for him. Friends, the foretaste that you and I take when we take the Lord's Supper is a glimmer of the great banquet feast that he will have one day for his enemies. The mercy that God had on Jonah The mercy that you and I are called to have on one another is the mercy that God fully and faithfully has on all those who were once enemies but brought near to him because there was punishment on someone else. I do pray that our church learns to exercise both care in being serious about sin but also serious about forgiveness. Look at how God treated Jonah, who now pleaded to live a submissive life. So I pray that our church is known to be a place where sinners receive mercy from God and where we show mercy to others. Many of us might have messed up in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. Many of us might have a different last name than we once had. Many of us might have been very scandalous. And the call of the gospel is for you to go to your maker and to have him make things right. And I wonder if we'll see other people as God has remade them. So Jonah hears this, and praise God, he obeys. He goes. Look at verse 3, chapter 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, 
according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly, an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now why three days? In part, I think it's to showcase how big of a city it was. Also, I don't think it's accidental that Jonah spent the same amount of time in Nineveh as he did in the fish. Three days, three days, quite a week. But by saving a city in the same amount of time that Jonah spent in the belly of a fish, I think God is teaching us and telling us, I think God is teaching Jonah and us how much righteous opportunity was wasted when Jonah rebelled. How much righteous opportunity you all waste, I mean you all like, wow, that got serious, how we all waste, when we, you losers out there, no, when we all waste, when God has given us so much opportunity to bring him glory and to make his name known. Saved three days, announced a saving grace for three days. Christian, resolve this day to obey God, especially in any areas in which you have been disobedient. Given how we have failed him in the past, God has been nothing but gracious in giving us renewed opportunities to serve him. Pray that God would increasingly cause you to pattern your motives after his motives. I asked you earlier, do you love like God loves? Look at how God is loving through Jonah here. And he's calling Jonah to love like he loves. I think also this is in in a side uh, deal. It shows the importance of preaching. I think it shows the importance of supporting those who preach, those who elder, those who will leave anything to go to the ends of the earth to preach. Encourage people as they respond to God's call in their lives and pray for them. Here, Jonah was being obedient, and the Lord was going to make himself known through blessing this man, even in forgiveness. We see next, amazingly and quickly, that God delivers Nineveh. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, he preaches, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. What happens next? In the text, it says that people of Nineveh repented, and God spares them. He spares the city from the judgment that he was about to pour out on them. This is what you read through verse 10 in the third chapter. It says that the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on a sackcloth. The Ninevites believed Jonah's warnings of judgment and repented of their sin, and then God showed mercy on them. This is always the aim of preaching. This is always the aim of of teaching the Bible, that his word would tell you about your sin, that you would turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. You turn to Christ because he's the one who never sinned. He lived sinlessly and perfectly. He was the one who who was going to be a sacrifice, but there was nothing impure about him. Yet he went to a cross taking upon himself the punishment for sins of everyone who would ever repent of their sins and trust in him. God then raised him, Christ, from the dead to show us that his sacrifice was actually effective in pacifying God's wrath and paying for our sins. Now you here today, like the Ninevites, can have God's right judgment on you prevented, pacified, or preserved if you, like the Ninevites, turn from your sins in trusting God. Now, friend, if you're not a Christian here today, I, I want to encourage you to let this text speak to you, showing you the opportunity of what it truly means to live in the light and love of God, where these people turn from themselves. And remember, they were awesome. They didn't have just one wall around Nineveh. They had two walls around Nineveh. That's how good they were. They had so many aqueducts and big buildings. There were so many of them. They were 
great. And they heard the announcement of the Lord and the coming wrath, and they said, we don't stand a chance. We must be on his side. Friend, if you're not here, or if you're here, and you know that you're not a Christian, the call of this text is to recognize what side you're on. And the call, the completed call of this text, is calling you to God's side, to where you would pray that God would forgive you of your sins, to where you would pray that God would transform your heart, to where you would pray that you would be considered a son or daughter of the Lord. And he says, also in his word, that anyone who believes in me, I will save. Anyone who calls out to me to save them, I will save. The only barrier is your opposition. So Jonah preaches, and his word goes out, and it worked. God delivered these people by the reception of his word. And this shows God's pure love for the nations. God is compassionate. Where the king of Nineveh may have wondered if God was compassionate before, but we know now according to his own words and this full word of God that he then knew. Throughout scripture, God constantly reveals himself as compassionate. Yet Jonah, we say amazingly, another turn in an unbelievable way, Jonah preaches, Nineveh repents, Jonah is furious about it. He's not going, wow, that was awesome. He was talking like, God, why would you do that? I know you can. I know you're compassionate. But why those people? They're your enemies. They're my enemies. Why them? He was furious. The Lord demands his compassion to be understood, though. Now, frankly, I think it's hard to characterize Jonah's response to the deliverance of Nineveh, Nineveh as anything other than resentful. Why was Jonah mad? Because he resented the reality that these enemies of God would be now made sons and daughters. He does not run from God's will this time, but he does run from God's love. So again, is your love marked by the same of God? Is your walk marked by the same of God? He wasn't running at this point, but he certainly wasn't loving. And that is, he chooses not to love what God loves. So God provides in chapter 4 a comfort. Jonah's pouting, he's mad, he's resentful. We now see him outside of the city, and it's hot, and he's uncomfortable. You got this crabby, grumpy, you know, little elf, almost, who it's like, what could ever make you happy? You run away from me, I save you. I empower you with the, with the Spirit's word, and then you're grumpy about it. And now you're looking out on all these people coming to a faith and knowledge of God, and you're uncomfortable by the sun. Yet God, in his compassion and mercy, grows a plant to provide shade for Jonah. You just see the regular announcement. This is not a story about a fish. It is a story about God's continual love and care. God provides for our, or God provides for his comfort. He provides also for his losses. Because of this, God was going to teach him a lesson, and so he sent a worm to eat all of the vine that Jonah previously had. He even provides this, and you see this in a lot of ways. Now in love, God comforts Jonah concerning his resentment towards God's grace. Specifically, God prepares a vine for Jonah's comfort, but then Jonah's heart becomes woven in the comfort that this vine gives. You can think of it this way. God provides a vine to give him shade. Jonah does not recognize or does not give an allowance of voice to the Lord being kind to him. And then when that vine is taken away, he beats his chest at God. Why are you doing this? And it's like God saying, you don't get it. I'm continually showing myself, if you are obedient and aiming to live a righteous life, I'm I'm continually showing myself that only comfort is being brought to you. And so this is, in many ways, a, a parable on Jonah's own life. 
Jonah, if you're so concerned about the vine, if you're so concerned about your own comfort, then how can you how can you not look out on the hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh, see them coming to the Lord, and not be brought comfort by that? In reality, all he cares about is himself. I don't want to go here, I want to go there. I don't want to preach to these people, I want to preach to these people. I don't like that these people received it. I don't like, I don't like this vine anymore. It's not about you, is the point. What it is, is about God's love, which was promised to a descendant from Jonah so far before, that God aims to bring glory to himself by his announcement of his coming Messiah to draw even the furthest away enemies to himself. Why did Jonah respond with resentment? He was resentful because these people were his enemies. He had a total misunderstanding of what it means to be a believer in God. Everyone, everyone, by their sin, has made themselves to be an enemy of God. Yet in God's good grace, anyone who he brings to himself is no longer an enemy. Jonah knew that Assyria, those people, were a threat to his people. They were enemies. Perhaps he even knew that as a prophet, he would have known this, that that God would use Assyria to judge and destroy Israel decades later. So Jonah was graceless, even though he had just experienced God's grace so powerfully in his own life through the storm and great fish. Jonah celebrated God's grace when it was applied to himself, in chapter 2, but he resented God's grace when it was then applied to his enemies. Still look at what God accomplishes even through a resentful heart like Jonah, the conversion of an entire city. God is amazing in this. He sovereignly uses not only storms and fish for his purposes, but he also uses a sinful human Jonah to bring people to a point of praise to himself. I think a response to this would be, friend, pray that God would make your heart large and loving like God's. Fight the temptation to love and live like Jonah. Even a prophet of the Lord has the temptation to use life as a mirror instead of a window of God's glory. And pray that our church would be a good big picture of God's big loving heart as well. Third, finally, Jonah had a a short sermon. I'm not Jonah. The power of God's expansion, I think, is seen in the very last verse of this text. Look at the final verse of the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11. He's looking out. God is speaking to him. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? It's a cliffhanger that is demanding an answer. Now, just to clarify, these these 125,000 who don't know their right hand from their left hand, that's referring to children. And in fact, this city is so great uh, under God's good creation that he even acknowledges that there's great cattle there. He's talking about this place means something to me. God looks out and he sees these children, which in our case only means that it's even a bigger city than that number there. Maybe 500,000 people, if you think of it. Should I not have pity on Nineveh, all those people there? But it's a cliffhanger. It It demands an answer. Nothing else is said in Jonah. Nothing else is known about him. And I think it's undeniable that that this aims at driving us to have an answer given to us. I think it's clear in the scriptures, it's been clearly given to us, that the answer from this text is shown as a sign from the actual lips of the Messiah who would come hundreds of years later. It was at one point in Jesus' ministry when Jewish people asked Jesus for a sign. 
They were mad at him. They were trying to trick him. And so they asked him for a sign, which a sign is basically a miracle on demand in order to prove that what he was saying was true. If you are true, then do something to show us that only you are true. And so Jesus basically responded with, no, I won't. The only sign that I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. Now, in our case, you look at it, you go, what is Jesus talking about? The sign of Jonah. Not the story of Jonah, not the example of Jonah, but the sign of Jonah. Think about how Jesus sees himself in light of this word. Jonah was saved by God from the sea. By the way of a fish, after three days. Nineveh, chapter later, was saved by God from God's wrath by the way of Jonah's preaching after three days. The sign that Jesus refers back to is also the sign that that he points to himself with, where they, the sinners, the audience of Jesus in this text, and you, sinners are saved by God from his wrath by the way of Jesus after a three-day death. You see that connection here the, the running theme through this word. The sign that Jesus refers back to is actually the sign that is pointing to him. This is how salvation is applied to people. Friend, today, how it can be applied to you. By God's gift of repentance and faith, by your turning from running from God and turning to running to God by trusting in Jesus to be for you what he was for Nineveh, a deliverer, a savior, Jonah was a preacher from Galilee who brought to God's enemies God's news of possible salvation from coming judgment. Jesus also preached the good news to God's enemies from Galilee as well. But the similarities of these two figures in there, where Jonah was hesitant in his operation, Jesus walked willingly to the cross. Where Jonah protested with his actions, it was Jesus who was submissive to the Father's call in his life. Where Jonah became uncomfortable, you think, under the plant, it was Jesus who was terrorized on a dead tree. Where Jonah merely preached, Jesus died. Jonah was taken to Nineveh for God's enemies to bring about mercy. Jesus was taken to a cross, suffering, to bear the very same wrath of God promised to Nineveh in order for God's enemies to be saved. The book of Jonah is different than other minor prophets. You see in the minor prophets prophecies of wrath against God's enemies, and they all came true. Prophecies of deliverance of God's people, and they all came true. But in Jonah, you have salvation for God's greatest enemies, those who he calls wicked. And that came true. God had pity on so many. Such pity that he relents from wrath by mercy. So much pity that he sends his only begotten son to absorb everything that you and I deserve. And the Bible testifies to the fulfilling reality that God's glory will reach the ends of the earth in redemption. And the Bible testifies that salvation will reach the ends of the earth through his good news being preached to his enemies. He pities the nations in the same way that he pities Nineveh here. Jonah is a call in part of God's advancing, expanding kingdom to be evangelistic and missional, going beyond a barrier or border because you care for these fellow creatures that God has made in the image of God, and you want to warn them of God's coming judgment and preach the mercy held out to us in Christ. Now, there is so much, so much that you could take away 
and apply this. You think of them just, who are the Ninevehs around you? Are you supporting the Jonahs around you? Are you called to be a Jonah yourself? Are you praying that more Jonahs would go? Are you aiming to reach the Ninevites by saying, friend, out loud, the gospel? Are you helping the the church or other churches in this work? Or are you called to go to Nineveh yourself? But I think we've got to take a step back. All those demand to be answered by you. I think we've got to take a step back and see the reality at what God says about himself and his work at the end where it says in Revelation chapter 15, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone all are holy. And the question is answered. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring, your, and bring glory to your name? All nations will come and worship before you. Friends, God, God's will will accomplish his purposes. But the question remains for us, how will you be a part of it? As one who runs from God's desire or runs with and for God's glory. Let's pray.